Retro Hangover, supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We would especially like to thank patrons Lyle McCarns, Ashton Ruby, Randall Quiggle, Tony G, Katie Quigg, Paul Romalo, Raging Demon, JC, Megan Caruso, Mast Keaton, Andrew Laguori, Ozzy Garcia, The Retro Vixen, Adam from The Good, The Bad, and The Backlog, Thunderdome Gaming Society, Keith Gasper, Diskai Mera, JC Freak 898 The Saturnian, Dave Jackson, Eric Gass, and Rick Firestone. Your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated. Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to the most recent episode of Retro Hangover. Gamers, welcome to the podcast where we alienate aliens, allowing allegorical illusions at any acquiescence. This is Retro Hangover. I am your co-host, Chris Copeline, with Bill Barber from Gaming and Collecting Podcast. And, as always, your host, Shane. Tank-controlled dick dragon! Koski! Yes, this particular dick dragon is incredibly difficult to maneuver, but, you know, once you get the hang of it, you know, it'll get defended until the end of time for maybe no discernible reason. It makes you more anxious and scared that. mm -hmm, Yep, that's (laughs) what it does. It's it's for reasons. You just have to accept it. I'm start. I'm starting this episode off with a whole bunch of salt already. I don't even know. (laughs) I might be setting the tone. I don't know what's happening here. (laughs) <laughs> you know, uh, but it, you could have played it with the controller if it was on the 3DO. Hey, that's how I played it. <laughs> exactly. And that brings us to Bill mm. Barber. How's it going, man? That's yeah, going all right. Uh, I just finished moving. So I finally actually have all my games again. Huzzah. Congratulations. The, all that like like Fort Knox worth of games. That's just. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm so jealous. And your your Sega CD and, and Saturn collection. Yeah, my, my wallet's not. It, it's still crying. So <laughs> that was years ago. Not as much as it would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> It'd be crying a lot more now. Uh, uh, let's not date this episode. Hopefully that's that's not dating and just everything just levels out. They're like, oh, remember when games were expensive? Actually, yeah, let's hope it dates and I can go back and be like, yeah, now Saturn games are listen, like $25 man, a piece. Yeah, we just you know what? You just have to wait for the next generation, like the Gen Z's to start getting all nostalgic for their shit. And then our stuff will finally become reasonably priced again. That's how it works, right? I can't wait until they get nostalgic for digital downloads. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Sega stuff's always been kind of expensive. But Ooh. do you guys remember Xbox Live? Oh, my God. What? <laughs> oh, wait, it's not Xbox Live anymore. I don't even know what it is anymore. It's just is it Game Pass? That's like what it's called. I mean, sure, probably. I don't even know. Their marketing is well. The real the real nostalgia is going to be like when people are like, "Do you remember PlayStation Home when you had that little world you could walk around that nobody played?" <laughs> <laughs> oh God, can't buy that, kids. Ha <laughs> uh, things are just getting worse. I love it. Which is why we're a retro game show. <laughs> we live in the rosy, basking glow of nostalgia. 
<laughs> we picked quite a game to do that with, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Uh, but before we get to our game du jour, which is Alone in the Dark, we like to talk about the games we have been playing lately. Yes, Shane, I'm saving that slogan for you, so I'm not stealing it right off the bat. You know what I'm talking about. But we like to start with our guest. So, Bill, what games have you been playing lately? So... I haven't really had access to most of my games for a while now, so I've been kind of limited. So actually, most of the games I'm playing lately are all actually related to podcasts I'm going to be recording at some point. So I've been playing a lot of uh, Etrian Odyssey Untold, some uh, Pokemon, the trading card game, the GBA one, and then uh, Diablo 3. Nice. It's a good selection. It's definitely electric. They're all uh, RPGs, though. True. So a lot of time. I've heard rumors that we might like RPGs on this podcast. It might be heavily biased towards them i'm not sure though is that true shane is that yeah you know i'm not entirely sure i don't think we've fully explored that rumor quite yet we need to play more rpgs i heard something about lunar at one point you know (laughs) (laughs) maybe we'll get back to that (laughs) i've definitely absolutely not been putting off continuing playing that game (laughs) so what do you think of it's odyssey um i've played the whole series i really like it um I actually got into it because I played a Persona Q, uh, which is basically just Persona if it was Etrian Odyssey. Mm. They're fun little dungeon crawlers. I, I spend way too much time drawing the little maps on the bottom, which like basically make, is the reason it takes me forever to beat these games. Yep, they're fun little Atlas RPGs. Definitely, they're definitely as challenging as Atlas games can be. So there's that. Mm. Yeah, I've always really liked the the mapping aspect of it. I thought it does look fun. It's really fun. It, it just kind of, I don't know how they're going to do it on the Switch if they ever move to the Switch. Uh, I guess they'd have to put a screen over to the side or something like that. Maybe. I don't know. Like how you see how DS emulators do. I, I say, hear me out. Right. They can just create a new Switch, mm. but it could have two screens and it'll be a oh. clamshell design. Okay. <laughs> this is totally new and innovative. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You got me. We could call it the Switch DS. Oh, I was thinking you would call it the Switch U, and they would be detachable with asymmetrical gameplay. Oh, yeah, that, sure, you could do that. Yeah. That's probably better and than my cheap attempt at a joke, so sure, yeah, <laughs> let's do that. <laughs> I was following up with another one, Shane, I'm sorry, I ruined it. <laughs> but what have you been playing, Shane? Oh, man, I mean, apart from this, actually, if you've been keeping up with our Sunday streams, uh, as of the time of this recording... I just got done playing, I think, like two thirds of a random ass Silent Hill mobile game from like 2007 that I didn't know existed. So that was pretty cool, actually. Surprisingly more in depth than I expected. Hmm. Mechanically, not super great, but I will say it is better playing on a PC than a nine digit keypad on a fucking Motorola <laughs> Razor. So got that going for me. You don't know that. Now I'm, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure about that one, actually. <laughs> what a lazy dude. Technically, it's not an actual emulation of the original game. It was um, a total conversion that some very dedicated fan did in the Doom engine, of all things, to create a point-and-click adventure game. So, pretty neat. Anyway, nice little historical artifact. Mm-hmm. But apart from that, honestly, it's really just been more Fallout 76, unsurprisingly. You know, like I've been talking about that for like the last at least three or four episodes. I'm just still pretty deep into that one um i've I've finished the main story campaign at this point so now i'm just wrapping up all of the 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 various and sundry side quests and trying to level up more so that i can 
finish building out my my end game build with all of my perk cards. But yeah, that's that's really been eating most of my game time lately. Uh, I need to jump into a certain other game for my PlayStation yeah. 2 pretty soon in honor of, you know, the annual Spooptoberfest. <laughs> so I'll be doing that one soon. But that's pretty much it for me right now. I don't know. What about you, Chris? What what's been keeping you busy? Well, I beat Final Fantasy VII. Hooray! So there's that. Original or remake? Uh, the original. Oh. I like original, original. Like on my ah, gotcha. on my PS2 with the PS1 discs. So nice. I'm very happy and pleased with myself because I don't think I've done it legitimately before. I think I just got tired of playing the game when I was a kid and just boot up my Game Shark because. Do you guys remember those old memory cards that had like 25 pages on them? Yeah. Yeah, and they would like they would like corrupt so easily. Yes. So that's. That's the memory card I had when I was a kid, and that's how I played Final Fantasy VII first. And so I made it to, I, I got to like level 70 with like 40 or 50 hours, and just level grinding, having a good time, getting nice to the round, go chocobos, <laughs> all the stuff. And then, yeah, like you said, file corrupted. And uh, I said, fuck this, I have a game shark, and I'm going to beat this game. So that's how I beat it as a kid, and... I did not have to do that this time. Most because I don't know how to put a game shark in my PlayStation 2. I have all the things I know how to do. That's one of the things I don't. And I'm probably going to get a message saying, oh, if you just do this, I know I could probably find it out. It's really easy. I just don't want to. Thank you. But it was a good. It was a time. I will say that it was a time. <laughs> and I, I look forward to talking about it. It sure was a game. Yes. I oh. it's it's very overrated, but it's still a great game. I'll I, I'm not going to give my full opinions. This is why I have my RFR sections uh, in, in for the patrons. So if you want to hear that, just go to patreon.com slash retro hangover and you'll be able to hear that rapid fire review or rambling freely review because I can't shut up anymore. I will say this. I can see why it needed to be remade. I can see why people wanted a remake. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. I there's yes. there's a reason why I said I feel like I got enough of the experience by watching someone else play it. <laughs> mm. yeah the question was though is that the remake that we really wanted though mm. well you didn't want it to be split up into several different chunks that you had to buy separately over the course of like a decade uh, I it wasn't so much that it was more i didn't want them to change the story uh which, yeah. which they did yeah they did in, in a clever way but probably not the best way but i will say this about final fantasy 7 it probably was really a victim of the early 3d era and didn't really convey what people would feel if they went back and played it today. Oh, you don't say. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Could have been the kid who messed up the Roman numerals and ended up with eight, so. Oh, I was going to say. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> You're not wrong. But much like our game today. Oh, shit. I gave it away. Alone in the Dark for PC. Yeah, it is, in fact, Alone in the Dark. The original, the OG 1992. It's got at least eight polygons and uh, Chris is here to talk about all of them. So he's going to give you a little brief history on this game and then we're going to jump right into the thing that we are want to do. I got it. Ooh. There it is. Chris teed it. it up and softballed it to me. So thank you. You're welcome. With that out of the way, Chris, why don't you give us some brief history on alone in the dark? Survival horror. Two words that, when strung together, typically evoke thoughts of games like Resident Evil and Silent Hill. 
and with good reason. They served as major catalysts for mainstream popularization of the genre. They were not, however, the first of their kind. In fact, they owe quite a bit to a common predecessor, a game that most consider to be the grandfather of survival horror as we know it. A game known as Alone in the Dark. In 1989, Friedrich Reynal had begun working with 3D technology with the express purpose of applying it to interactive entertainment. That is to say, video games. The fruits of his labors would materialize as a port of Alpha Waves, an arthouse-style platformer by Infogrames. Emboldened by this first endeavor, Reynal wanted to fashion a wholly original, three-dimensional gaming experience, and subsequently sought out fellow programmer Franck D. Girolami, I hope I said that right, probably didn't, to collaborate on this new project. A few years would pass, and in 1991, Renal seized an opportunity to create a horror game based on a pitch from Infogrames CEO Bruno Bonnell. Despite 3D still being relatively new and exciting territory, Renal was concerned the limitations of the technology would hinder the game with visuals too primitive to convey any sort of real genuine tension or fear, so he decided to supplement this with the written word. As a result, the majority of the game's plot would be discovered by the player via books and notes found throughout the 1920s-era mansion that served as the game's primary environment. Originally, the team wanted to create the game's scenery by scanning actual photos of various real-world locales, but this proved to be too ambitious for the time. As a compromise, hand-drawn bitmaps were created to serve as backdrops that the 3D polygonal characters would move across in a manner that simulated actual area traversal. Dark would officially get the green light to move forward in September of 1991, with it seeing its release on MS-DOS in Europe in 1992, while not arriving to North American shores until the following year. Critics praised it for living up to its horror chops. Great atmosphere and use of sound, in addition to the Lovecraftian themes, were big hits with several reviewers. Commercially, it would find success as well, with the game going on to sell an estimated 2.5 million units worldwide. These figures do include a port to the 3DO in 1994, though that version was not nearly as well received as its PC counterpart. These days, however, Alone in the Dark is more often brought up in discussions surrounding the games it served to inspire, rather than the game itself. After all, the developers behind both Resident Evil and Silent Hill have openly stated on multiple occasions just how influential this title was to their creative efforts. That is not to say that Alone in the Dark didn't get a franchise of its own. It certainly did. It received two direct sequels in 1993 and 1994, respectively, as well as a soft reboot in 2001 with The New Nightmare, a self-titled release in 2008, and an online-only title known as Alone in the Dark Illumination in 2015. Unfortunately, none of these follow-up games could live up to the praise the first received, with review scores ranging from acceptable to downright awful. a small glimmer of hope for Alone in the Dark Faithful, however, a full reimagining of the 1992 adventure in the style of the recent Resident Evil remakes 
is said to be in development at Pieces Interactive as we speak. Let's just hope it can break the curse of mediocrity that the series has been suffering under for the last three decades. And that is your brief history of Alone in the Dark. All right. Thank you, Chris, for that brief history. Uh, you know, this is an interesting one. I mean, I hope that they're all interesting, you know, because we do a show and all. But I had to be entertaining. Yeah. You know, I had some very um, particular thoughts about this game. And I think some of it's changed uh, after a little bit of a little bit of self-reflection. But but I don't know. I'm, I'm going to be curious to see what the two of you have to say. Especially Bill, considering you played the the 3DO version. I, I want to know more about that in particular. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's something. <laughs> oh, that's that's promising. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot here that kind of conveys, I think, what our feelings are about the game. They, they, they recognize, you look in the brief history, that they recognize they were dealing with very early technology. Mm-hmm. And they were just trying to make the best of a situation. I think a lot of this just has to do with the fact the way that it was received at the time, the way they, they built it up. It's because 3D technology, if we, we all remember, I don't know, Bill may not. He's very young, at least compared to us. This game predates my existence, so. <laughs> <laughs> right. But we kind of remember how it was like back in 1992, 1993. Anything that was polygonal or had 3D graphics was just mind blowingly amazing, even if it was terrible. I'm not saying that's necessarily the case for Alone in the Dark. I didn't play it back then. We'll talk about that briefly in personal experiences, but I can certainly see why this thing was hyped up at that time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is, of course, you know, and we'll talk about this more once we really get into it, but it's the same thing with a lot of games in this general era. We're like right on the cusp of, you know, polygonal graphics is that at the time, n- nobody necessarily was like, man, this sure does look like eight triangles pasted together. Like we were all just fucking blown away by it more than anything right maybe not aged quite as well though but we'll talk Mm. about that yeah yeah so i guess let's hop right into personal experiences and uh we'll start with us two shane before Mm. we start talking about i guess the 3do version here because that's i am interested in hearing about that too so i do actually have experiences with the pc as well so i'll share those as well oh sure i guess i'll start this section off with myself because it's really easy i'd never played the game i think i just kind of said that in my response to the history It's not even something I even heard much of, to be honest with you. I mean, I was seven, and why would I be playing a survival horror game on a PC when my PC could barely handle, you know, 2D games, let alone 3D ones, right? I mean, that's back in the day where you really had to customize your computer to do anything more impressive than Minesweeper. (laughs) Yeah, I, I never heard of it really until much later when they would do series retrospectives on Resident Evil around the time Code Veronica and Resident Evil came out. It's like, yeah, it's like Alone in the Dark. I'm like, I have no idea what this game is, but it must be good. But I still didn't even see like screenshots at it until probably the early 2010s or something like that. So this is one of those games that has just really been this foreign curiosity to me. And uh, I I did play it uh, for this episode. Uh, Shane. Wow. Truly compelling. (laughs) I mean, unfortunately, I don't have a whole lot more to add to that one, oddly enough. Yeah, I uh, I mean, right. So 1992, 93 ish, that would have put me right around, let's see, six years old. So I wasn't exactly uh, at the forefront of cutting edge MS-DOS gaming or anything. Uh, and and honestly, I I was aware of this game, like 
growing up only because, you know, I had a pretty regular subscription to PC Gamer for many, many years. And so um, this was always in the background when, you know, uh, horror games, specifically survival horror, were ever mentioned Uh, and with good reason. So I was aware of its existence, but I had never played it. Um, It always seemed like a huge hassle. And that was, you know, of course, before the advent of, uh, you know, like DOS box and, you know, that kind of ease of backwards compatibility on PCs and things like that. So, yeah, it wasn't until many years after the fact that I even tried this thing. And in the sake of full transparency, which, again, may or may not be kind of setting the tone for the rest of my discussion, at least for this game, I think just off the top of my head, I have tried to start this game at least three or four times over the last, like, let's say 10, 15 years, give or take. I don't think I've ever gotten past probably the first stairwell hmm. with like the gargoyles. Like I, I and, and the reason for that was because I was just so turned off by mm-hmm. a number of things that this game does from the the control scheme to the co- complete horseshit instant fail state mechanics and other things like that. I was just like, you know what? I got better things to do with my time. And went and played something else. <laughs> so I think I've gotten 15 minutes into this game at any given point, anytime I've tried to play it, except for the most recent time for this episode where I actually successfully completed it. So gave me a different viewpoint on it. It, it was a hard one for me to get into, suffice to say. Mm-hmm. All right, Bill, what about yourself? I have like two histories with this game, actually, believe it or not. Uh, like I said earlier, this game predates me existing, so I didn't pick it up until years after it actually released does anyone remember like those old like the old hot wheels and uh barbie computers from like way back in the day that were like god awful like pcs but they were marketed to kids <laughs> were they like yeah. compact presarios or something like that i think they were they were like windows 98 like potato computers that couldn't do anything <laughs> other than like play these really like crappy like licensed stuff nice we me and my sister alex actually had those uh growing up and they came with like this huge like variety of like software like in different games to play and there was like a bunch of set games that came with like a bunch of hot wheels games and like mist and stuff but then there was some random games that they threw in and i this must have been either like they didn't pay attention or like a mistake or something but alone in the dark was actually included in like the bonus games that they added with mine wow and this was before the rating system so i guess that's probably why it like kind of just slipped in like unnoticed mm. mm-hmm. i had to have been maybe like four or five at the time <laughs> i didn't know any better <laughs> so i was like "Ooh, what's this and i put it in saw the opening intro and i was like i'm not sure what's going on here and then i saw the frog jump scare and i immediately turned it off and <laughs> put it away and never played it again <laughs> <laughs> you know that's that's hilarious you're admitting to being scared by the frog jump scare yeah <laughs> i <knew> it was <laughs> different times <laughs> that's awesome well, it, it, like it just pops at you on the screen and like as a kid, I was like, video games aren't supposed to be scary. What is this? <laughs> Years later, I had picked it up again, like as I after I like turned like 13 and I was like, oh, I was scared by that. And I saw the graphics. And I was like, oh, this is uh, interesting. So I never really finished it back then. And then years later, when I finally got my hands on a Panasonic 3DO, which I'd been searching for for years one of the games that came with it actually was the copy of alone in the dark once again so i was like all right i'm finally gonna sit down and play this thing so i 
try it out. And I was surprised at how accurate it was to the PC from what I remembered. Like maybe like there was a hmm. bit of resolution, like differences and stuff like that. But for the most part, it was pretty much the same game. But my God, playing it on the 3DO controller was something else. Like <laughs> it was like Resident Evil, but like worse, if that's imaginable. No, it's not imaginable anymore. Yeah, oh, no, that's, that's, I, I, I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with how limited the 3DO controller is in reality. But I did actually get through the entire game with this playthrough. And I'm not going to lie, like the 3DO port gets a lot of crap. But aside from the controls, it's really not that bad. It's a pretty much identical to the PC version, just with the slightly reduced graphics. And I think there's some slowdown every now and then. Mm-hmm. But it's mostly the controls that really hold it back from being a solid port of the game i do i do want to talk about that when we get to gameplay because i would think that the controls would be more beneficial on the 3do considering it's a controller and not not what they did instead on like more of a modern setup but again we'll, we'll get to that in gameplay proper but yeah I'm, that's really that's really interesting now once i one thing i will say is interesting about this game is its writing and its plot which is as you heard in the brief history is mostly told through memos and books and everything like that that Mm. might sound familiar to survival horror fans but uh shane how about you kick this one off and and you're the most literate one between the two of us and i don't (laughs) know where bill's at i'm I'm sure he's quite far beyond me at least but you're the most literate one so how about you you tell us what you thought about the plot and writing so like i said it might not be too much of a stretch to imagine that I had no idea what it was or gave much of a shit about the plot initially. But once I got myself to actually get through the game and experience the whole thing and kind of see the whole thing unfold, you know, I actually kind of dig it. I'm not going to lie. Like it's not anything super mind blowing, but it's, it's actually pretty cool. The high level for those of you who are not necessarily familiar with the plot of this game, it's set in primarily set in a place called Dorsetto Manor, which fun fact, by the way, I found this out after the fact that Dorsetto is actually based on the name of a Syrian deity for fertility and protection, which actually kind of makes sense oh. when you think about what goes down in the story. And it's owned by this man named Jeremy Hartwood, who uh, is a noted artist, and uh, he ends up committing suicide by hanging himself in the loft in the in the attic section of the attic and or of the home rather and you get to choose basically to play as one of two characters um you can play as edward carnby who is a private investigator which i did not play as the other character i only plays it as edward um in basically all of my playthroughs but i just want to say that i find his like motivations hilarious (laughs) that like this man gets caught up in this nightmare house basically just because he's like overdue on his bills and he takes like the nicholas cage approach of I will do anything as long as you're going to pay me for it (laughs) and like just shows up there because he's looking for like this piano in the attic because he got paid like 150 bucks by some woman and he was like fuck it yeah I don't care that's a lot of money in the 1920s it Mm. was yeah but I just I find his whole like backstory fucking hilarious so you can play as him or Emily Hartwood who is Jeremy's niece and she's also interested in finding this piano because she believes that it has some sort of little secret drawer in it somewhere with essentially what she believes to be Jeremy's suicide note. So she wants to know more of why he did what he did. And so regardless of who you play, you end up at, you know, the Dorsetto mansion. 
And the rest of the story, as we kind of alluded to in the brief history, is really sort of unfolded through various uh, books or journals or notes that you find sort of scattered throughout the premises. And as far as like plot and writing goes, it's actually pretty good. Like there wasn't anything that really struck me as like super poorly written or like cringy necessarily. Like it was all actually written fairly well. Um, I did really appreciate a lot of the um, literary excerpts that they used and also how those factored into the gameplay, which I'll get into a little bit later. But yeah, I think by and large, I, you know what, like actually taking a look at this as a whole and getting past that, like, first 15 minutes of BS, I, I actually do like the plot. And it kind of goes into, you know, what happened here with this occultist pirate of all things <laughs> yeah. named Ezekiel Prext. His corpse is underneath the house, spoilers, in a set of caverns inside of a tree. Apparently some dark ritual shit was going down in order for him to like increase his fortune and like unnaturally extend his life. And so his body was placed down there by his followers slash servants, I guess. And uh, essentially the reason that Hartwood commits suicide is because he doesn't want his body to become a vessel for pregs to come back. So once that happens, then basically the main character becomes the focus of this otherworldly occultist pirate who's basically trying to claim your body as a vessel. So pretty neat. Mm, Yeah, I tend to agree. And I'll get to my thoughts on that after. We hear from what Bill thinks. Bill, what do you think of the plot here? So, you know, for a survival horror game, like, usually the plot is kind of like what, like, I'll look at the most, like, for, like, what keeps me engaged in a lot of these games, because I'm not a big fan of, like, the jump scary games or, like, certain games that just kind of, like, there's no, like, substance, like, that keeps you interested, and they try to go super far into the horror aspect and not so much the atmosphere and, like, the world building. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. for what Alone in the Dark does, like, especially for like a 90, 1992 game, it honestly really does like drag you in from the start. I haven't played the PC version in forever, so I don't know if it's in there, but on the 3DO version, there's like this like narrated opening mm-hmm. that's um, pretty cool. Like I, it really does like pique your interest. And then like, kind of like, I love like the exploration and like, you kind of have to like look deeper to find like the subtleties of the plot, like kind of similar to like what Resident Evil would later follow up with. And like, I find stuff like that really fascinating, especially for like such a, primitive game in the like honestly one of the earliest games in the genre in in reality yeah and i'm just probably going to echo a lot of what you two said but what i i did find interesting about it and and this is how i perceive this and even by the brief history it kind of suggests this that they came up with the game first and then they put in the plot to kind of go along what was happening so Mm. the plot was it feels almost like an afterthought i think with the plot being told through storybooks that you find in various locations throughout the house, it feels like that. Like, oh, okay, how do we explain the motivations and to get to the next room? Or how do we explain the motivations of what's going on here? Because there's so many documents you don't necessarily have to read at all in order to get through this game. In fact, there's rooms you don't even have to go into at all in order to get through this game. Mm-hmm. So it all feels like a nice touch to kind of bring everything together. Mm. And I think that makes sense. Because as you read in the brief history, it was I'm making a game that's in 3D. I have an opportunity to make a horror game. So I'm going to do all this. Oh, how do I make this scary? Because my characters look like ass. Oh, I know. (laughs) I'm going to have fantastic little uh, Lovecraftian stories uh, with Eldritch allusions to Eldritch monsters, which 
makes sense because they wanted to tie this into the Call of Cthulhu tabletop game. But it was just I think it was too brief or too short or something like that, that they couldn't officially do it. But that was Mm. definitely the angle that they would eventually go for. It's kind of cool how, like, in hindsight, somewhat of like an oversight or like last minute thing kind of like influenced the progression of what would become like the survival horror genre in a lot of ways. True. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And like I was reading through this and like this is this is exactly like Resident Evil. This there's there's very little difference uh, other than the fact like Resident Evil, you have character interaction, which you don't have at all in this game. It's all all the all the plot is told specifically through these books or memos that you find or notes that are littered throughout the house. And yeah, they do a real good job of building up atmosphere, because if you didn't have that, this game, I think, would be a complete and total laugher because nothing here graphically is remotely scary. But the the books themselves do add they give credibility to what you're doing in in terms of some sort of horror intention that you're not going to get from what the game is doing on its own. And I can I think that is a true testament to what this game was able to do with really the limited technology that it's that it had. And I know I'm going to dip a little bit into sound here, but the voice acting that they have on some of these books is is just stellar and really gets the plot across in a way that I don't think could have been done if it didn't have it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, and, you know, I think the other thing that really lends credence to a lot of what they've done here is just, they did their homework, right? I mean, a lot of the stuff that's referenced either indirectly or in a lot of cases, just directly in a lot of the stuff that you find is just straight from HP Lovecraft mythos, you know, whether they're referencing tomes like the Necronomicon or the Devermis Mysterious or things like that. Even the enemies themselves are basically straight from his stories, like Deep Ones and Night Gaunts and things of that nature. And actually just the setting itself is inspired by the fall of the House of Usher by Edgar Allan Poe. Mm -hmm. They got a lot of really great inspiration there. And I think having done their homework on it and really including a lot of those details, especially if you're a fan of those authors, lends this sense of gravitas i guess to the story because it's grounded in something that you know you're familiar with and kind of sets this really great foundation for the story that they're trying to tell the one thing i do want to point out though about the method in which they kind of reveal the plot which is primarily through these books and notes and things it is absolutely the template that kind of set the stage for many many games to come after for better or worse yeah True, Because there are a lot of games that rely heavily on this that shouldn't or or don't need to. This was a decision that was done from a, you know, a a technological perspective, I think, more than anything as like a way to supplement, you know, the graphical presentation. Whereas a lot of games that kind of came after this were just doing it because that's what you do. And I think some of them probably suffered for it because you end up with games where like you'll find written notes and things where you're just like, no one would ever do this. Like games that are set in a time period where no one writes journal entries anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. No, hundred percent. And I know like you talked about that when we talked about Soma too, like yeah, who, who writes this crap? Like, why would you document <laughs> exactly. this? I think the praise is going to start waning what? as we get, yeah. <laughs> I know it got its moment. It got its moment. I know we are building this up and building it up. And I think we are here it's time to talk about the gameplay, everybody. No. And I know we're sorry. <laughs> Not really, because this might get fun. So, Bill, 
I'm, I'm curious to hear from you first. Well, first, because we haven't started off a section with you yet, other than what you've been playing. Secondly, because you do have that 3DO experience compared to the PC experience. I'm really interested to hear why a controller didn't enhance this based off what I've played. So I will say, like, I'll give it a little bit of a pass just because it was like the first of its kind. Is it good design in hindsight? No, but I will give it a little <laughs> bit of a pass just for its age. That doesn't mean it's should have kept going in the future. But as for the 3DO version itself, the problem is it's not so much how they how it controls itself. Like it's still like tank controls, like a Resident Evil game, like you'd expect. Like you hold forward to move and you turn with left and right. Where it becomes confusing is the 3DO's design is it's got the Sega Genesis three buttons, but it also has Super Nintendo style uh, bumpers up on the top. The problem is though, like the way it maps stuff, like you have to like jump into menus to switch to different modes and to like set items into your thing. And like, if you hit the wrong button, it like kind of like resets on you at times and like you'll like lose where you were. Mm. And you get kind of like this point where like the first room of the game, you'll spend like a few minutes trying to figure out the controls and then you forget about all right, this room is timed. So then all of a sudden the zombie, the zombies in there on you and I'm still don't know how to control everything. So I'm like running around like, Oh no, I'm dead. I'm dead. And then I have to restart from the beginning again. So it was kind of like that from the start. Once you figure it out and like you work your way around it, it's passable. It's not good, but at least you can work with it. But it's it, it, one of those things where like the PC version actually was so much easier. Cause at least you knew where everything was in a sense. Mm-hmm. That's wild. Like, I, I would just assume, I mean, now that I think about the control layout, I could understand why it could be difficult. Like, so it's just not intuitive at all, is what you're well, saying. It also has a lot to do with how the 3DO has a lot of wacky controllers and there really was no standard controller for the thing. Yeah, that's kind of true. And I'm not sure what the developer actually was developing on because, like, as I said, 3DOs are an interesting, interesting piece of hardware. Yeah, they're, they're supposed to. Well, the idea from what I understand is that they're supposed to kind of be like VCRs, like the standardization of video game media. And it failed horrifically. Well, not horrifically, but not it didn't do as well as they wanted to, obviously. So, Shane, shifting over to you. Mm. What what are your thoughts on this? Well, you know, it's interesting because it seems like a lot of the gripes and shortcomings that I have with the with the gameplay are more or less the same in the the 3DO version. I mean, I will agree that. The control scheme is a little is slightly more intuitive on the PC, perhaps than mapped to a controller like that, but uh, not by much, not by much. Listen, like tank controls, it's kind of whatever, right? Either you hate them or you deal with them. I don't think there's anybody that's a true tank control proponent out there. And if there is, then please get in touch because I'd like to know who you are. (laughs) But, you know, those are fine I will say that one of the biggest gripes I have with the controls is the fact that in order to run, which arguably is something that you really want to do even right off the bat in that first room, because to Bill's point, it's kind of timed. And if you don't do what the game precisely wants you to do in that time, you're probably going to get murdered, especially when you are still trying to figure out the controls, because I had that same experience, (laughs) which again, Part of the reason I never got far in this game because I was just like, fuck you, game. Like, give me five seconds to figure out how to control you before you start throwing things Mm. through a window at me. But man, the double tap to run sucks. It is so, so so bad. You know what's funny is I thought maybe it was just me. I was like, you know what? 
maybe maybe it's me maybe it's my keyboard maybe it's the version of playing i don't know it could be anything i'll actually point out that is one of the few things the 3do version actually kind of gets better oh thank god well at least there's that because like man i i went and watched a couple of long plays um at least just in the like the first few minutes just to see and if you look carefully you can see the character's animation doing this like stilted thing of like starting to walk and stopping and starting to walk and stopping, but like floating in one direction when they're doing that. You know what that is? That's the person doing the long play, trying to hit the fucking run button. So yeah, it's not just me. (laughs) Holy crap. And for a game that like almost asks you to do that on several occasions, how imprecise it is, is like just infuriating. And the thing is, is like, you know, in in the same spirit as Bill, I will say that I'll give it a little bit of, of a pass, a little bit of leeway, because this was like way before any sort of input standardization was really a thing. Right. So even even in the PC space, like the, you know, the WASD, that kind of thing was not a thing yet. Um, and so people were just kind of like it, it was it was it was fucking wild. They were just doing whatever they wanted and hoping that it worked. So there is that. I'll give them that. But man, it is it is even once you get your head wrapped around it, it it's still not great to control. And and on that point, can we can we talk about the about the combat a little bit? Uh, can, we, can we talk can about we not? It's, <laughs> it's <laughs> gross. It's fucking gross. <laughs> you remember I said like shuffling through menus like you have to do that to get to combat mode. And yes. once you get into uh. combat mode, I don't know what to do. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, so I have no idea what the 3DO expects you to do, but I know on the PC, at least, once I finally figured it out, which, by the way, I think I was, I might have been talking to Chris while I was doing this or something. I don't know. But, like, I was trying to figure it out in real time of, like, what the fuck am I supposed to do here? I had to go look it up. And apparently, in order to actually do anything in combat, you first, yes, you have to go into a menu, which, by the way, this is just a larger problem right there's no standardization fine however i just feel like a context sensitive interactive button it's not like a huge ask right Mm. like why were we required to go into the actual game menu and go choose the action that the one action button which is space by the way is gonna do like every single time you want to change what it's gonna do and there were many times at least for myself and i'm sure i'm not the only one where like i had just got done you know searching a cabinet let's say which also the animation for that is great because it it just looks like he's an old man who's lost in a mall (laughs) but like he's you're searching through something and then oh no a zombie is here now i should fight him but then you forgot that the last thing you did was search a cabinet so you can't fight him until you go into the menu and change it. So first of all, context sensitive action button, please. I don't know why that wasn't a thing. But once you get to that, you're supposed to press and hold space, which will then put your character into the combat like idle animation. And once you're there, hilarious, then only then can you attack with the arrow keys. Nice. Holy crap. All right. The one thing I do want to say, <laughs> because I know I'm on a tangent, but this is the one positive thing I'm going to say about the combat in this game, because I think it deserves it, especially in 1992. 
having a nuanced combat system where each arrow key actually maps to one of your limbs is pretty cool, right? So like the left key, if you're just like punching, if you're just doing fisticuffs, you don't have like a shitty saber that breaks after two hits. No. Then like the left arrow key will cause you to punch with your left hand, right arrow keys, right hand. And then the arrow keys are kick. If you've got the better sword later on, then those are slashes horizontally. And then up is a downward overhead slash. That level of nuance is actually really neat. The bummer is it's completely underutilized. You only use mm -hmm. it once in the entire game. And that is when you fight the pirate with the sword because you have to hit him in the right direction where he's not blocking. So it is basically like a real sword fight. Kind of cool. Literally yeah. the only time that this control scheme matters. Mm, sort of. When's the other time? Oh, I'm just saying it doesn't. Oh, <laughs> like at all. You guys have covered most of the ass pain here and, and running isn't something you just want to do later in the game. It is required that you do it or else you will mm -hmm. die. Yes. So you, you have to know how to run. And if you can't hit that run, which is finicky and imprecise and a pain in the ass, it's yeah, uh, it's awful. Now, talking about selecting your action in the menu, I, I don't know. Again, it's the Wild West thing. I don't know. I'm not a coder. I'm not a programmer. Seems inexcusable. I, I don't really know of any 3D platformers or anything that was even close at the time. I, I think I get the feeling like they these the developers are big fans of Uninvited and Shadowgate. Mm. They had to have been mm. there's there's no because this game plays somewhere in between what they would envision a top down action game like a 2D action game or whatever was going on. I think that they had games like that in like Ultima or maybe um, like Secret of Monkey Island. Is that before this? I'm not sure. But there were games that like we're on a 2D play. King's Quest. King's Quest. This is a lot like like an actiony King's Quest, like a poor man's King Quest in a way mm. when you think about it. And it, it does a lot of things that that blend all these things together because it, it gets extremely obtuse at times and will force you to save the game every like five seconds. Because if you don't save your game, there could be something around the corner that will just randomly shoot an arrow at you and you'll die or you'll touch the wrong thing. It will turn into a monstrous blob that will chase you throughout the house until you die or you'll fall off a ledge and die or you'll read the wrong book and die. And it, it, what, what tells you you have to take a heavy statue and throw it at a set of armor in order to kill it? Yeah. <laughs> in order to progress. There's like so much there. This is an adventure game first and foremost, and it has its roots in obtuse adventure games. The fortunate part is that there aren't many situations. There are one. There is one. And that's the mirror with the gargoyles that if you get hit while carrying the mirrors, the mirrors will shatter and you cannot beat the game. But other than that, this, this game doesn't really ever soft lock you into anything. It's it's not one of those games that can completely screw you over because you've forgotten an item somewhere, somewhere along the line that you can't go back and obtain at some point. Right. True. So I will give credit where credit is due in that aspect. It is a very accessible adventure game for what it is. Hmm. But the controls themselves are clunky and it's it's very obtuse. So I could see. Yeah, I understand. This is this is a very short game, too. You can yeah. get this game done in about two to three hours. Mm -hmm. So I can understand when you have this much processing power, why the developers would want to make things obtuse because they want to make sure that you're playing this game for longer than like longer than a night or longer than a week. Like they, they want you to think they want you to figure it out. 
it can't be too easy. But at the same time, if, if there's sometimes I was using a guide here and I'm like, if I didn't know, and this is I'm going to go back to the arrow example. If I didn't know I had to stand off screen in the certain part and throw arrows at a painting, I would not be able to advance on my own for a long time. Well, yes, but that's the thing. And oh God, this, this is the thing that irritated the shit out of me about this game is that like I, I alluded to this earlier, the, the instant fail states where like yep. you had no warning. There's no way of knowing these things were going to happen. No. And it's funny that you bring up the arrow one because you didn't even talk about the thing that accosts you the minute you walk into that fucking hallway, which is the first painting where you <laughs> right. have. The Native American painting with the the axe there, and you're just like, oh yeah, that's a that's an interesting painting. Definitely not something that's gonna murder me later. And then you walk like three steps down the hallway, and a magical fucking axe flies out of the painting and kills you. No way of knowing that. And how do you solve that, by the way? As they do. You yeah, as they fucking do, right? And what's the only way to solve that? You take the blanket you found in the first room and drape first it room. over the painting. Because I guess they were both Native American things, and therefore you should have put two and two together, I guess. You, you know, the first room where you're trying to figure out how to play the game and then a surprise zombie attack and you're not really looking for stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The last thing I was thinking about was this fucking blanket. I'm like, what is. Oh, God. Yeah. And that happens so many times that it's so. Can you imagine if this game didn't have a just save anywhere you want function? If it was like Resident Evil or something where you had to save. At like a save room holy shit yeah <laughs> or had limited saves I, I would never finish this game yeah no so that is a saving grace right at least you can save anywhere anytime and at least the 3do has built-in uh, memory right oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> could you imagine if it didn't actually fun little off-topic thing about alone in the dark on the 3do the 3do itself doesn't have a memory manager but alone in the dark actually has the memory has a memory manager built into it so you can manage your memory wow so that's the reason you load up alone in the dark is to manage your memory. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, OK, so the other thing and I don't maybe this is just me. I'm actually curious about the two of you because it flew completely over my head until Chris brought it up at our discord where he was just like, mm. oh, yeah, the that book tells you how to do that. And I was like, wait, what? It does. Yeah. And then I went back and I realized that actually most of the books that you find, if, if you if you find them, if you're thorough in your searching are not just great little literary excerpts, but they actually have to do with the solutions to a lot of the puzzles that you're going to encounter shortly after. Like one of the very first ones, right? Is like the book uh, on the shelf in the first room with the excerpt from the golden fleece, where it talks about, you know, defeating Medusa by polishing their shields into mirrors, which is going to be a solution to how to get past the gargoyle thingies on the stairs by putting the mirrors up. Hmm. Yep. I totally did not put two and two together about any of that shit. And I maybe I'm stupid. I don't know. But like I saw those books and I was like, uh-huh, that's really neat fluff. That definitely doesn't mean anything. And then when I got to the puzzles. I was just like, how is anyone supposed to solve this? <laughs> you know what game it actually another game that reminds me a lot of Alone in the Dark. It might be a bit of a stretch, but uh, Clock Tower in a way. Mm. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's another adventure game and in many ways. Clock Tower kind of follows in Alone in the Dark's footsteps, mm. except from a, a 2D perspective uh, for the Super Nintendo. Yeah. And the randomness that can happen if you're not paying attention and suddenly you're in the bad ending. Mm. <laughs> Remember, don't save your friends. Let them fall. <laughs> Let them all fall. At least you don't have to worry about any of that shit in yeah. this game. You just have to worry about yourself. 
True. Uh, did any of you play with Emily? I've done a playthrough of both. There's not a whole lot different other than some minor story things. Okay. I did not. I only played as Edward. So is her character portrait like just as fugly? Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, and her in-game model is even is even better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what I meant. Like her in-game model. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. They're the scariest <laughs> things in the game. <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess that'd be a good segue unless any of us have anything more to talk about gameplay. Just one more minor thing. There's more of like a quality of life thing than anything, I guess, which is uh, along the same lines of having like a just a context sensitive action button or, you know, I don't know, using different buttons for different actions because you're on a keyboard. Anyway, the the other thing is (laughs) items in your inventory, right? It's not bad. You end up with a whole bunch of totally useless items. This might just be me because I'm that kind of person that hangs on to like every quote end quote good item until the end of a game because who knows when I might need it and then never use it. But you end up with a bunch of junk like cluttering your inventory that you're not sure if you're going to need or not. And so you're kind of playing this guessing game, right, of like putting things down in, in the mansion of like, well, I need to make room for this key that's obviously really important. So I guess I'll get rid of this like empty flask that I assume I don't need. But also this is an adventure game where, you know, a paperclip and bubble gum is going to be the solution to something later. That's a little irritating just because like if you're not following a guide where it's just like, hey, drop these six things right now, you're never going to need them again. You can end up doing this like inventory shuffle and just praying that you're not dropping something that you're going to have to backtrack like six rooms later to like pick up again. Just feel like maybe automatically discarding like totally useless items would have been a nice feature. Just throwing that out there. Mm. I will say in, in retrospect, I can understand why that would be a lot more infuriating back then than probably today, because for me, I, I approach it from the angle of a survival horror where in, in survival horrors, you're always looking for which items the most useless so I can get rid of it. Whereas back then, if you're approaching it from the view as a adventure game, you're like, uh, yeah, I, I need this empty flask to throw into the pit of fire. So it will light ablaze the, the portrait so I can get a key for, for the room. No such things really happen here, I would say. There, there's a couple of ex- obscure things, but pretty much the items that are useless are useless. Mm-hmm. more often than not i do like going back to items I, I don't think they're too intrusive i do think it's weird that if you want to use a health kit you have to find the first aid kit then open it up then get the flask then drink the flask as opposed to just using the first yeah. aid kit that's it's weird. like added realism that's not really needed no no <laughs> that that realism of just chugging pure alcohol to get yourself through this experience you know <laughs> i do like that if you're not injured you get additional hit points though mm. yeah that is cool it does give you a little bit of a buffer, but I, I can see where the item system I kind of torn on that. The thing I liked about it, too, is that your inventory isn't too limited, like you would see in Resident Evil. Like if you're Chris, you get like four blocks and and a key slide or something like that. And mm. you get quite a bit of room in this game. And I think that's nice. It's surprisingly big for what it is. Yeah. Right. Especially if you can carry around a gramophone like it's no one's business. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hammer space. Oh, <laughs> uh. But we were talking about how the most frightening thing in this game earlier was the character models. So I guess it's time to shift over to the fantasticness that is that is the graphics. And I think we've kind of covered this already. The graphics are shit. <laughs> and Great. Moving on. I guess. I mean, I will say, look, this is this is very, very early PC polygonal graphics. 
Uh, and this is this is definitely when we say Wild West, this is like the Wild West of 3D graphics, because the only other things up to this point that come out was like Virtua Racing. That was in a dedicated arcade cabinet. Yeah. You're talking about things that you needed to have in your home. Yeah, I think hard driving might have been on the Genesis by this point, but that's about it. <laughs> it moved at like five frames per second, too. That is true. Yeah. So to actually have a functional 3D game, I will say for 1992, it could be much worse. The backgrounds oh, yeah. weren't horribly designed. They actually look pretty good considering they're all bitmaps. It could be much worse. But today, oh, my God. Yeah, it's hilariously awful. Go ahead, Shane. I have a hard time just like unequivocally shitting on it just because of the time period and it being sort of at the forefront of a lot of this. Like, I mean, they didn't have a whole lot to work with, you know, I mean, the, the political. They knew it. Yeah. And yeah. they knew it, obvious, which, by the way, is just like kudos to them. Right. That they were that forward thinking to not just be caught up in like the oh, man, we're making 3D graphics. That's fucking baller to be mm-hmm. like, yeah, but these still they're kind of shit. So like yeah. maybe <laughs> maybe let's make sure our plots. OK, so, you know, kudos to them for that one. However, I, I actually want to give them major credit for the backdrops. The fact that all of those are hand-drawn bitmaps is fucking impressive because there's uh, quite a few scenes throughout the whole game. And every one of those is a drawn bitmap and the detail on them comparatively, especially to the, the 3D models, is for 1992, pretty friggin' good. Like when you first start the game and I actually really love that intro sequence where you know, your character is walking up the drive to the mansion and like the, frog, the monster hands are <laughs> <laughs> yes, the frog jump scare. It's 10 out of 10. That's my favorite part of this game. It's such a happy frog, too. That's it the best is. Part of I'm, I'm actually going to make that the, the cover art for this episode. But <laughs> but no, the, the like monster hands that are like creeping out from the window of like the loft, like looking down on you, like it's actually really cool. And also, in a way, this kind of serves to just illustrate the difference between what could have been done with 2D graphics at this point in time in 1992 versus the very nascent sort of, you know, 3D polygonal stuff that you're seeing. Yeah. Mm. Bill, what do you think? You know, 92, I mean, it's it's not going to be like the greatest looking thing ever. I will actually say, though, when I compare it next to like Resident Evil, yeah, Resident Evil has better graphics in a lot of ways, but. I actually think the uncanniness of like Alone in the Dark actually gives it some points in my book because that game is legitimately kind of like off-putting when you're playing it. Like, like sometimes <laughs> when like the characters are like moved towards the screen, like sometimes it's like I'm not sure what's the monster and what's the player character at times. <laughs> I will say like the monster designs themselves, I actually think are really like fascinating. Like if they were, that's why I'm looking forward to this quote-unquote remake coming up soon because like. Some of these designs, I think, could actually be legitimately scary in like the right context. Yeah, I could see the squid in the bathtub being really cool. Mm. Oh, yeah. I think the only one that stood out to me is just really friggin goofy was like one of the actually the first one that you come across in the attic. Oh, the zombie. Yeah. No, no, not the zombie. The oh. like weird, like giant mutated rat looking thing. Oh, that thing. I, I blocked him off and didn't see what came out. Oh, in the oh yeah. You just oh, knew to yeah. do that, huh? <laughs> yeah, That's I forgot. Crazy. <laughs> I was running, running away from it for 20 minutes, you know. <laughs> How do I attack? How do I attack? Oh, I'm dead. <laughs> but yeah, I remember you have to shoot that thing when you get into one of the rooms. So. Yeah. 
Yeah. Also, the the jankiness of like the movement also is really off putting. Like it makes them way more unsettling than they should be. True. As you're constantly trying to double tap up, it looks like he's just jittering the entire <laughs> <way>. <laughs> Yeah. But I will say, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I have I have to agree with Shane though that the bitmaps are really impressive. Some of the transparency effects are, are pretty impressive too, especially when you're being chased by that like group of balls uh, when you touch a ghost on accident mm. yeah those are those are pretty impressive i like the game over screen too yeah it's pretty cool oh yeah you see it a lot so <laughs> yeah sure do <laughs> unless you hit escape quick enough and be like true <laughs> well you can't do that on the 3d <laughs> oh true okay let's move on to this game's uh sound and and music uh now i'll kick it off with you bill uh first what do you what do you think about the, this game's audio presentation you know i liked it 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 has it's very atmospheric, but it's also like high energy at times. Like especially like the uh, the like combat sequences are when like a, a creature like appears in the room. Like you get that like high like piano organ like kind of sound. Yeah, mm. it sounds pretty good even for today's standards. I would tend to agree with you, Bill. Uh, in terms of, I just think the sound direction overall is really good. I do have my beef with some of the the music, especially because. After I'll defeat a zombie or something like that, or whatever type of monster, it'll play that music and it'll keep going until that music loop is over. It won't just end. Yeah, true. Once the encounter is, is done. And that that sucks, especially if you reload your save right after you defeat the zombie. There'll be no zombie there or monster there, but it will replay the combat encounter music. I'm like, I already heard this. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> a bit of uh, archaic programming there. Yeah, a little bit, but it removes the tension it was intended to to put in there or any sense of that 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 possibly could be. As I said earlier, the voice acting in this game when they're when they're reading the books is, I think, fantastic. You can tell it's a little compressed, but, you know, why wouldn't it be? It makes sense. Uh, They're trying to get as much onto that seat compact disc as possible. Mm. And I don't know if it was on the three point five inch floppies. I would imagine maybe, but I'm I, I don't know. But that would explain more why it would be compressed, of course, because there's just not so much memory on there. Uh, I will also say it gets bonus points for having Dance Macabre in this as a battle mechanic. So I do appreciate that. <laughs> That's true. I, I would actually I would 100% agree with Bill, especially like I was surprised at how much I liked the music in this game. I wasn't expecting a whole lot, but it is actually very atmospheric when it wants to be. And, and with that little quibble about the combat loop kind of taking a little bit too long most of the time which is true yeah overall i actually really enjoyed it it's very well composed i think it fits the environment really well i tend to disagree a little bit with the sound design though on on some on some things okay i think it's implemented really well uh especially when you get just like you know random monster groans and stuff when there's actually nothing there to kind of keep you on edge that's cool i did really like the creaking floorboards for your footsteps and like the squeaky doors definitely giving you that old disused manse kind of feel so really liked that but some of the sound effects i just thought were like really lackluster Mm. like the uh the the sound effect after you drink like a health flask and he's just like ah I'm like, yeah, okay, I could, I could do without that probably. Being picky. Also, the combat slap is fucking hilarious. I just, <laughs> I yeah. just want to put that yeah. out there. That like, no matter what you do, whether it's a punch or a kick, it's just like a whap noise. And so I couldn't get it out of my head the whole time that I was just like pimp smacking zombies. 
You're just playing GoldenEye Slappers only. <laughs> exactly. Yes, that's exactly it. But yeah, you know, I think I think the music is really where this excels. Um, I think some of the effects that were chosen, maybe not the best, but overall not bad. I think I think they nailed what they were going for. I I tend to agree. Uh, I do want to go back to your your nuance with uh, because you said the smack and it reminded me why I want to go back to the nuance where you said fighting the pirate. Hmm. In that one room. Yeah. If you just get him to a corner and you keep on pressing the side buttons, he can't counterattack and you just you can cheese him cheese your way to victory. Oh, I definitely didn't do that. I was right in the middle of that hallway, just mono imano fucking sword fighting this asshole for like five minutes straight. That was the longest fight sequence of the whole game because I could not land a hit on that guy. <laughs> it almost sounds like the highlight too. Kind of for maybe a minute or two. And then I was just like, just <laughs> fucking die. Like it just, <laughs> it just got irritating after that. All right. I don't have any miscellaneous. That I don't think we've already brought up in just the uh, organic state of us talking through this, through this game. Uh, do either of you have any miscellaneous information that we, that you want to bring up? I was going to point out it. It's pretty interesting, but the game has ironically only seen two console releases in its entire existence. And both of them are on like some of the most obscure systems ever. <laughs> which is kind of interesting what's the one other than 3do so it saw the 3do release and it also saw a limited release on the uh, japan only fm towns marty oh my god wow. really yeah i'm not sure how that version is because i've never actually seen anything play on the fm towns marty i just know it exists that also had like super street fighter 2 turbo on it right that's like the other system that had it yeah wow it also had a lot of uh porn games on it because japan <laughs> oh, yeah <laughs> japan yeah you know it's all anime, too, because yeah, the they got to blur things out. Yeah. The 3DO had a lot of porn games in Japan, too. Plumbers don't wear kawaii. <laughs> yes. A, a plus. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, the, the only thing I wanted to throw out there was actually n- nothing to do with this game. It, it, I wanted to just touch real quickly on that reimagining we were talking about. So it, it is being done by THQ Nordic and Pieces Interactive, which I believe is a Swedish developer. And they released some like pre-alpha footage of what they've been working on this year, actually. I gotta be honest, it actually looks really promising. Like they've it, they've taken the original this original 1992 game and used it as sort of like their inspiration for it, but they're really like expanding on the story of like Dracetto Manor, and you're gonna be able to play through like other areas, and there's like a whole like actually sort of Silent Hill esque like alternate world that I guess you're gonna go to throughout the story, and Ooh. it actually looks pretty neat. It's like third person behind the shoulder, like the RE makes. But the other cool thing about it, which actually gives me some some promise in in it, is that the story is being written by Mikkel Hedberg, who is the guy that's responsible for Amnesia, Dark Descent, and Soma. Oh, oh. Mm. So I feel like this actually could be pretty good. So maybe, maybe the Alone in the Dark franchise is finally going to get pulled out of the out of the gutter where it's been for like 30 years, which good Lord, we haven't even we're not even going to touch on that Christian Slater movie adaptation they did. Holy shit. Let's I forgot that was a thing. Yeah, you're probably better off forgetting. Yeah, yeah. I will say that THQ Nordic has been kind of on a on a run with like all these uh, remakes lately. So I actually have high hopes. Yeah, definitely. And with that pedigree, they better not fuck this up. Hmm. That, that's too good of a writer to, to fuck this up. Well, with that being said, I think this brings us to the conclusion of another episode. 
where we talk about whether or not this game holds up today. Mm. So, Shane, how about you start this one off? And of course, the guest has the final word. Do you think this game holds up today? Shane? (laughs) No. (laughs) I'll just go ahead and, you know, usually I pontificate about some shit, but no, man. Like, okay, this is important. It's it's an incredibly important landmark game, right? If you want to go back and experience what really set the foundation for the likes of things like Resident Evil and Silent Hill and all these other survival horror games, then, you know, you you can do that. I mean, you can get on good old games or it's actually on Steam, too, and you can fire this up. And I would recommend just playing with a walkthrough if you're going to do that, because it just gets frustrating. Like, listen, in 1992, right, none of us had a Steam backlog. Okay, so we had like five games that we had to play. And in that sort of setting, it was like, yeah, okay, sure. Like, I I have all the time in the world to sit here and trial and error my ass through this game. But even then, I have to believe that some of this was infuriating. And it's even more so now in in, with hindsight, you know, it's bad game design. It just is. And so it gets really frustrating. You're going to have to save a lot. You're going to have to, like, just die and then figure out what to do to solve the puzzle to not die and do the exact thing that the developer wanted you to do, which is an endemic issue with a lot of adventure games, especially older ones. So does it hold up? No, not really. It's a relic of the past and it is an interesting curiosity. But would I recommend somebody go and spend time playing it now? Not not really. Maybe maybe hold out for that reimagining because you, you might get a better story of of the Dorsetto mansion in that than, than you will here. I, I'm going to stay on theme with one part with you, Shane, and like, God, no, this game as does not hold up today. You just look at one look at the graphics. And if that's not your indicator, the controls certainly will remind you that it's not. That being said, where, where Shane is saying, like, kind of avoid it. I'm going to say if you're a fan of survival horror, especially from this era and you have not played this game yet. So if you are a big fan of Resident Evil, Resident Evil 2, Silent Hill, even Silent Hill 2 to an extent, because by that point, I think you move far enough away from the original. You Maybe not so much a fan of modern survival horror. You really got to be a fan of survival horror of that era. You owe it to yourself to go play this game. You have to play this game. And the reason I say that is because. Like this is it feels everything about this game feels like an early alpha of Resident Evil. Mm -hmm. So you Mm. can see all the foundations and all the building blocks that are there that makes Resident Evil the breakout success survival horror would have as a genre. It feels comfortable enough that with enough patience, you can make it through it. And you do need quite a bit of patience in order to get through the first Resident Evil. Let's let's not kid ourselves that that game has aged questionably as well. It's it's kind of rough. But if you're a fan of that game, this is a game that you can see everything there. The books, the memos, the way they tell the story, the way you do combat in a way is is almost identical to Resident Evil. A lot of the puzzles are, are not identical, but like the way you figure things out is similar in a Resident Evil sense. And, you know, it's it's more bullshittery because it's more leaning into his like adventure Shadowgate kind of inspiration i'm assuming but yeah like no it's it's a bad game and you're not going to like it but you do need to play it to appreciate what would come later because it's not that far off it really isn't 
but it it does it is it good today no 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 but uh you you should play it i know that's that sounds completely contradictory but just roll with me here (laughs) okay so bill you have the final word what's your thoughts all right i'm gonna kind of echo both of you guys a little bit because i do agree no this game has not held up in like modern days uh but i do agree with chris that it should be experienced if you are a fan of the survival horror genre because it really is a landmark game like in this genre and it has a it's a huge piece of like the history of horror games survival horror and, and that entire basically like everything that we know now kind of started here in a lot of ways i will say though even like for the alone in the dark series in itself i don't actually think it's even the best game in the series to be honest because i think a new nightmare was honestly the better game in a lot of ways but overall i have pretty high hopes for the um for the reimagining and i definitely say probably this one is definitely for the survival horror fans but most modern people like most like regular fan like just general gamers i'd probably just maybe like just no i wouldn't even bother with this one to be honest I mean, I'm just saying, you know, there's plenty of long plays on YouTube. You could just watch what that, you know, that's a that's a thing you could do. Yeah. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I suppose on that note, that brings our discussion of Alone in the Dark to a close. So first and foremost, we would like to thank our most esteemed guest, Bill. Uh, Thank you for jumping on here and uh, chatting with us. It has been a pleasure. Yeah, no problem, guys. Uh, thank you for having me. Honestly, you guys were like one of the big inspirations for me starting my podcast. And it's it's actually awesome to finally get to talk with you guys for once. That is still insane for me to hear, but I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of your podcast, uh, where can the fine people at home find the the thing that you do? So I, I do a few things online. Uh, you can find pretty much all my stuff at linktree.com slash the barber who games. Um, I run an Instagram blog where I show different parts of my collection on Instagram at the barber who games. And then I actually have two podcasts I'm currently uh, working on right now. I have my main podcast, the gaming collecting podcast. It's a gaming and anime based nostalgia podcast I do with me and my uh, younger sister, Alex, where we just talk about different games from our childhood or different like animes. And we just kind of, we give our different thoughts on uh, an assortment of different topics. And then Aside from that, I actually recently started a second podcast called the uh, the 3DO Experience, where I'm actually talking about the 3DO itself and going over the history of the console and then the company that created it. Nice. Also topically relevant. There you yeah. go. Mm. <laughs> well, that is fantastic. So once again, thank you, Bill, for being here. As far as we're concerned, I suppose if you're listening to this, then that probably means that you've somehow found us out there on the ether that is the internet and so we hope you've enjoyed your time here if this is your first time around then uh hi how's it going i hope you enjoyed your stay if uh, you are a returning listener then we very much appreciate you coming back for more auditory punishment from chris and i (laughs) if you'd like to engage in the show uh beyond just allowing it to sort of massage your cranial cavity then you can do that and we make it simple, much like Bill and all the other cool kids that we know. We have a link tree, which I was told at some point is like so 2010, but we're old, so I don't care. <laughs> it's Linktree slash retro hangover. That is where you can find all our stuff, whether that is our social media accounts or the YouTube channel or our Twitch stream or the Patreon or the merch store. If you'd like to support the show in that fashion and get access to cool additional content and 
and other goodies and the ability to participate in democracy and vote for the things Perfect. that we will talk about and some such. But speaking of the, the Twitch channel where we probably badly play games, um, what, what do the people need to know about that, Chris? First of all, I'm surprised Linktree is this for us old fogies now. That is depressing uh, since I just found out about it. I can't keep up, man. Like, I don't know. Maybe we need to put everything on TikTok. No, you can go to twitch.tv slash retro hangover where you can see us in video form on Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern time. So swing on by there and you might find something you like or you might not like and just sit there and make fun of us the entire time. We don't care. Yeah. As long as you go to twitch.tv slash retro hangover, hang out, and have a good time. It's not TikTok, but it is better. <laughs> it's a low bar. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> with all of that being said, until next time, play with your why are these dancing ghosts killing me in one hit joysticks? Shane here with a quick message. You know, the one rule Chris and I have always gone by regarding advertisements is this. It has to be something we use and can personally vouch for. If you know me, you know I love coffee. And Bones Coffee Company has been my go-to for home brewing for quite some time now. Their small batch beans come in an impressive variety of flavors like Mint Invaders from Chocolate Space or Electric Unicorn, which I swear tastes exactly like Fruity Pebbles. And the best part? No added sugar or calories involved, just natural flavors infused right into the beans themselves. Build your own sample pack of five four-ounce bags to find out which flavors speak to you, or jump in headfirst with full 12-ounce bags. They've even got K-Cups. Step up your homebrew game with Bones Coffee by visiting bit.ly slash rhpbones. That's b-i-t dot l-y slash r-h-p-b-o-n-e-s.